Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 7. The Round Table. King Arthur had defeated all of his enemies in Britain, and was now in complete control. It was time to think of happier things. It was time, decided the king, to get married. As always, when there was something important to do, Arthur went to see Merlin. Merlin, he said to the wizard, I love Guinevere, daughter of King Leodegrance of Camelard, and I shall choose her as my wife. Merlin looked at his king seriously. Sir, you cannot choose who you fall in love with, and I can see you've made up your mind. There are many ladies in this land who would be a better choice to be your queen. Guinevere will love you, but she will also love your greatest knight, and he will love her. This will lead to very bad things. But your mind is made up, and I will travel to see King Leodegrance tomorrow. King Leodegrance was delighted with the suggestion that his daughter should marry Arthur. Guinevere was just as happy. The King of Camelard and his daughter travelled down to Camelot. With them they brought a very special gift. Many years before, Uther Pendragon had given Leodegrance a huge round table with seats for a 150 knights. As a wedding gift, Leodegrance was giving the table back to the family of Uther. Not only that, he gave Arthur a hundred of the greatest knights to fill two-thirds of the seats. Whilst the wedding party and the gifts were arriving, Arthur felt a tap on his shoulder. He looked round and saw his eldest nephew standing there. He'd grown into an immensely strong man and was turning out to be the best warrior in the court. "'My king,' said Gawain, "'I would like you to give me a gift.' I ask that you make me a knight on the day you marry Guinevere so that I can sit at the round table and serve you. Arthur smiled. I would be glad to, he said. So Arthur and Guinevere were married and there was a wonderful feast. Merlin scoured the land to search for knights worthy of sitting at the round table. He found twenty-eight, including Sir Kay the Seneschal, Sir Lucan the Butler and Sir Bedivere the new constable. Arthur knighted Sir Gawain, who took his seat and then Arthur sat at the table himself. A hundred and thirty of the hundred and fifty seats, which were known as sieges, were filled. The Archbishop of Canterbury blessed the table and the knights who sat at it. Then Merlin spoke. Knights of the Round Table, he said, it is time for you all to stand and pay homage to your king. As they stood up, each knight saw his own name, written in gold letters, appear on his siege. This was pretty spectacular, and they were all immensely proud. Merlin hadn't finished, though. He pointed to one of the empty seats. Be warned, he said, that is the Siege Perilous. No knight may sit at that seat unless he's the purest of all knights and he's chosen by heaven. There is only one man who will sit in that siege and he is not yet born. Any other knight who tries will be fried to a crisp. Unsurprisingly, nobody tried to sit at the Siege Perilous. Every knight took a vow not to do any wicked deeds and to be loyal to the king and queen. All promised to give mercy to those who asked for it and always be courteous and helpful to women. They all promised never to fight just so they could gain money or other gifts from it. Any breaking of the vow could lead to the knight being thrown out of court and banished from the service of King Arthur. Gawain was not the only person made a knight at the wedding of Arthur and Guinevere. At the festivities, a tall young man who looked very poor arrived at the court. He had been brought up by a cowherd called Ares, but he wasn't Ares' son. He was really the son of King Pellinore. Merlin, of course, knew this and told Arthur. 
Arthur knighted the young man, and he became known as Sir Tor. King Pellinore was very pleased to have found his son. He arrived for the feast, and King Arthur greeted him like an old friend. He was taken to the round table, and given one of the free sieges, and one very close to the king. Everyone cheered, as they knew King Pellinore was a great knight, and would do very well as a knight of the round table. Well, nearly everyone cheered. Sitting on the other side of the table was a newly knighted man, and he was far from pleased about King Pellinore being welcomed with open arms. Sir Gawain leaned over from his siege at the round table, and whispered in the ear of his brother Geheris. Look at him. He murdered our father, and now he is being honoured at the round table. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to do it right now. Gawain was about to stand up and draw his sword, but Geheris whispered back urgently. No, not now, he urged. It won't be too long before I will be made a knight, as will our brother Agravain. Wait until then, because we all want to avenge our father. Wait until we can get him away from court. It is not right to kill him at this feast. Gawain nodded. He knew that Geheris was right, and he knew he'd have to wait. What he knew best, though, was that one day the Orkney boys would have their revenge. The feast to celebrate the wedding and the founding of the Order of the Round Table was in full swing. Little did everyone know that in the next few minutes they would be visited by a number of animals and people, and this would lead to some great adventures for three of the knights. The first visitor was a white hart, a female deer. It was closely followed by 61 dogs. One was a white female hunting dog known as a brashet. The other 60 were black. A knight also arrived, whereupon the white hart jumped at him and knocked him over. Then it ran from the court, closely followed by the sixty black hunting dogs. The white brashet, though, was grabbed by the knight, who then mounted his horse and rode off. Just as the king and queen and their knights were wondering what on earth was going to happen next, something happened next. A lady rode into the court on a horse known as a palfrey. That white brashet was mine, she said. Nobody had any time to say anything, because a second knight rode into the court, forcibly grabbed the lady, and carried her off wailing. King Arthur was quite pleased when they had gone, as the lady was making such a dreadful noise. Merlin, though, had different ideas. It is time for adventure, he said, and it's time for, for your newest knights to show how they will tackle the challenge. Arthur spoke. Sir Gawain, I charge you with bringing back the heart. Sir Tor... Bring me the white brushet and the knight who took it. Either that or kill the knight. King Pellinore, bring me the lady and the knight who took her away. We will see what happened to Sir Gawain in his quest in the next chapter. For now, we will find out how Sir Tor and King Pellinore did on theirs. Sir Tor rode out of Camelot and was soon met by a dwarf. The short man told the newly made knight he could go no further until he had jousted with two knights who were camped nearby. Sir Tor replied he was on a quest, and didn't have time for random jousting. As he was speaking, he glanced over to the camp, and realised he was going to be jousting whether he liked it or not. One of the knights was preparing to ride at him. Sir Tor prepared himself, and the two knights charged at each other. Sir Tor knocked the other knight from his horse, and then stood over him, ready to kill him. The knight yielded to him, and asked for mercy. Sir Tor, remembering his vow, agreed and then took on the second knight. The same thing happened, and again Sir Tor agreed to show him mercy. Sir Tor commanded that both knights go to King Arthur's court, 
and tell the king they had been beaten by the knight who quested for the brachet. They did as they were asked. The dwarf was extremely impressed. Sir knight, he said, I would be grateful if you would let me work for you. I've had enough of working for rubbish knights. Sir Tor agreed. He was very pleased that he did, because the dwarf then told him he knew where the brachet was. Sir Tor, delighted, gave the dwarf a horse and urged him to ride on very quickly and lead him to the white brachet. They cantered off and soon came to another camp. Asleep in the tent was a young woman, and at her feet was the brachet. Sir Tor, not wanting to waste any time in achieving his quest, grabbed the dog and tried to sneak out. Unfortunately, the lady woke up. Sir Knight, give me back my brachet. Afraid not, replied Sir Tor. I am on a quest sent by King Arthur of Camelot. I must take this dog to him, and that is what I intend to do. Well, replied the lady, you won't get far. After resting for the night, Sir Tor and the dwarf began the journey back to Camelot. They hadn't got far when they were approached by a knight. Sir Tor recognised him immediately. It was the knight who had taken the brachet from King Arthur's court. "'Oi, you there!' shouted the knight. "'Give me that brachet which you've stolen from my lady.' Sir Tor had no intention of giving back the brachet, and he prepared for yet another joust. The two knights rode away from each other, turned and charged. Both spears hit shield with great force, and both knights were knocked from their horses. Sir Tor drew his sword just before the other knight had the chance, and swung it at his head. He hit the head hard, but the other knight had enough strength to hit him back. Blood flowed from both heads, but Sir Tor was slightly less injured. He raised himself up and stood over his opponent. "'Yield to me, and I will show you mercy,' said Sir Tor. "'I won't,' said the knight, whose name was Sir Avalus, "'unless you give me back the brachet.' "'Can't do that,' replied Sir Tor, who prepared to deliver the fatal blow, but was made to pause when a lady rode up to him. "'I ask you for a gift,' she said to Sir Tor. That knight, Sir Abelus, is a terrible and treacherous knight. He murdered my brother in front of me. I begged him for half an hour, bowing and scraping at his feet, not to kill my brother, but he beheaded him anyway. If you are a true knight, then give me my gift. Give me his head. Sir Abelus, by now very scared, forgot all about wanting the brachet, immediately yielded to Sir Tor and begged for mercy. Sir Tor looked at the knight. I've taken a vow to give mercy when it's requested. You, though, are only asking for mercy because you are frightened. If you would yield to me when I first asked you to, then I would have to spare your life. As it is, I don't have to. With that, and without any further fuss, Sir Tor drew his sword and sliced off Sir Avalus's head. Tor returned to Camelot and told the tale of his quest. Then he handed over the brachet to his king. Merlin told everyone that this young knight would prove to be a noble and valiant member of the Order of the Round Table. Sir Tor sat down, very pleased. King Pellinore had left the court to carry out his part of the quest very soon after Sir Tor. He was in a hurry, as he wanted to catch up with the knight who had carried off the lady. He wasn't best pleased when he was stopped by a woman who was cradling an injured knight in her arms. She begged King Pellinore for help but he was in too much of a hurry, and he refused. The wounded knight died very soon afterwards, and the lady prayed to God that there would come a time when King Pellinore would need help, and he would not get it. Her prayers would one day be answered. King Pellinore rode on, 
until he spotted two camps. He saw the lady he had come to rescue and the knight who had taken her. What surprised him, though, was that the knight was fighting another knight and the fight looked quite vicious. King Pellinore rode up to the lady and told her she must come with him to Camelot. The two knights' squires intervened. These knights, Sir Hontslake of Wentland and Sir Meliot of Logris, are fighting over this woman. If you can separate them and stop the fight, then you can take the lady back to Camelot with our blessing. King Pellinore strode over to the two knights and found they were both wounded. Why are you fighting? he asked. Sir Meliot spoke first. The lady is my cousin and I am rescuing her from this foul knight. Sir Hontslake shouted his disagreement. I won the lady fair and square when I fought for her at King Arthur's court. That's rubbish, said Pellinore. You slipped into Arthur's court and took her away before anyone had the chance to stop you. Now I will fight you for her. Sir Hontslake, although wounded, got to his feet very quickly. Then he drew his sword and King killed King Pellinore's horse. Pellinore, very unhappy at this turn of events, raised his sword above his head and brought it down with all the force he could muster on Sir Hontslake's head. It went straight through his helmet, through his skull and brains, and cut his whole head in two. "'Are you going to fight me for her too?' King Pellinore asked Sir Meliot. "'No,' replied the knight. "'I wouldn't stand a chance against you. "'Just see that she comes to no harm. "'And please, Sir Knight, tell me your name.' "'Don't worry. "'I'll look after your cousin. "'She will be fine. "'And I am King Pellinore of the Isles.' "'Pellinore mounted a horse given to him by Sir Meliot "'and rode off towards Camelot with the lady. "'It was too late in the day to get all the way there.' so they stopped at lodgings for the night. On the way back to Camelot, King Pellinore and the lady passed the place where he had seen the young woman with the wounded knight. She was still there, but unfortunately she was not a whole woman any more. She was just a head. The rest of her had been eaten by wild animals. King Pellinore was sad and ashamed when he saw the head. Maybe if he hadn't been in such a hurry to get on with his quest, he would have been able to save her life. When he got back to Camelot with the lady, he told the story of his quest. Queen Guinevere and King Arthur told him he had done a great wrong by not helping the young woman. Merlin agreed, and he had some terrible news for King Pellinore. The young woman had been his daughter, and his refusal to help her would have terrible consequences. Because he had failed to help the young woman in her hour of need, the same thing would happen to him. In his hour of greatest need, King Pellinore would be failed by his friend. King Arthur declared the adventures of Sir Tor and King Pellinore were great tales. He decreed that every year on the Feast of Pentecost he would call upon his knights to tell the tales of their adventures from the previous year. We will hear many of these tales as we continue our journey through the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Next week we will follow Sir Gawain on his part of the quest and then we will hear how he deals with another sticky situation. Please leave me a favourable review on iTunes or contact me at mythandhistory at gmail.com with any feedback. You can also friend me on Facebook at Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, until next week, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>